You're listening to a podcast of the Sunday morning message from Grace Christian Church in the city of Cork on the beautiful south coast of Ireland. We hope and pray that it will be a blessing to you. Has anybody heard that song before? Who is that? Who's singing it? Fergal Sharkey. See, nobody, from, no, nobody international said, it is Fergal Sharkey. It was like, Fergal Sharkey. Because he was from Cork. He was an Irish man called Fergal Sharkey. He was in a band called? Oh, lads, you're showing the vintage down here in the middle. Bless the middle vintage. The undertones, they were called. They were from the north, and they were a brilliant band. They were really good. But then he went solo, and that was when they had their first number one hit. And his first number one hit was called A Good Heart. It also was his last number one hit, but what can you do, poor old Fergal? Jackie, he went that way. That song was out in 1985, at a time when hair was big and so were shoulder pads. It was a great time for fashion. Everybody wore clothes that were three times too big for them, and we thought we were so cool. But we weren't. But he was singing a song about finding a good heart. Because his heart had been broken so often. Has anybody here ever suffered a broken heart? Somebody did it to you? A girl or a boy? If you've, if you've had a broken heart, would you, would you raise your hand? Yeah. Some of you are married and you've got broken hearts. Is the problem. I remember listening to this song at the time. And I had a broken heart. Thank you, John. I had a broken heart when I was listening to this. And I, the girl I was going up with, she'll remain nameless, but Linda Nicholson, I will never forgive you. <laughs> I fell in love with her during the summer, during the summer of 1985. And she broke my heart. And it's very Spanish. I was talking to a guy, sorry. I was talking to a guy, uh, a guy who used to come to the church here a few years ago. He's gone, he doesn't come anymore. And I met him one morning and he was from, he was from Spain, you see. And uh, he was one of those kind of very temperamental Spanish, you know. Is anybody here from Spain? Good. Oh, yeah, you're fine. You're okay. That's to join us. You're one of the nice Spanish. But you know, you know the, the Spanish and the Latins can be a little bit kind of like dramatic. Yeah? You know what I'm saying? So I spoke to this guy and I said, I said, hello, let's call him Jose. Let's just give him a name, Jose. That wasn't his name. I said, Jose, how are you? He says, I am not good. I said, really? He said, yes, my heart is broken. And I said, you know, I said, that's a bit dramatic. I said, w- w- what's the problem? And he said, there is a woman I love, but she does not love me. <laughs> and I said, well, that's heartbreaking. That's really tough, uh, Jose. I mean, uh, what's going on? The way that she is going is not the way I'm going. The way I am going is not the way she is going. And the poor fellow was nursing his broken heart in only the way that the Spanish can. That is why they are so good at love songs. Sorry, stop, stop, Michael, stop. It's going down the wrong road. Come back, Bible, Bible, come back. I want to talk to you this morning about your heart. You see, just like Fergal Sharkey sang, he was looking for somebody with a good heart. And I think sometimes we have this idea that, oh, people have got a good heart. But that isn't actually what the Bible teaches at all. 
The Bible teach, doesn't teach at all that people have good hearts. It actually tends to teach that people have pretty bad hearts. But you see, we have this kind of amorphous idea about hearts, and just bear with it for a second. When you look at the word heart, or if you put the word heart into a, into a sentence, for instance, I was thinking about John and Marion as we were praying from just a minute ago. There's a proverb that I can't remember the reference of proverb in, in the book of Proverbs. It says this. It says, a hope deferred makes the heart grow sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. But when we say a hope deferred makes the heart grow sick, we kind of know what heart means, but we kind of don't know what heart means. But the minute I say, oh, you, you, you know it from your heart, you go, yeah, I kind of understand what they mean, but we don't really have a very fine definition. It's a really hard thing to define. I'd call it the elusive heart. It's very hard to define what it is. The Bible uses the word heart a thousand times, over a thousand times. It is the most, uh, the most used anthropological word in the Bible. It's the most, most used anthropological reference, the word heart. It comes up every time. It's in every book of the Bible. And yet we're never... 100% sure exactly what it means by heart. To the ancients, to the people in the Old Testament times, they, they, they saw the heart as being, uh, they actually saw the organ at the center of your, of, your, of your chest as being the one where all your thoughts went on. They would refer to a man's thoughts as a man thinks in his heart. So he is. But of course, now we know that there's not a whole lot of thinking going on in the heart. The thinking goes on in the mind. But what goes on in the mind really does affect the heart. Anyway, so we have this idea of the heart. But so when I talk about heart here, I want to look at it in its most broad biblical sense. So if you will, there are three words that will accurately describe what heart is. That is, first of all, heart itself as in affections. Second of all is one's spirit. And third is one's will. They're the three most solid roots on which you can put the idea of heart. You can do a research paper on it. There's so much information on it. But I want to talk about this idea of a good heart. I was watching a documentary uh, just a, a couple of years ago about the Cray twins. Has anybody ever heard of the Cray twins? The Ronnie and Reggie Cray were two criminal bosses who lived in, uh, who were at their height in Britain, in London in the 1950s and 1960s, early 1960s. And they were utter psychos. The two of them were mad and they had no hesitation and no compunction whatsoever about using violence to get to their ends. They didn't care who they killed or who they stood on. They were just Horrible, through and through, vicious, violent criminals. And in this documentary, an old neighbor of theirs, let's call her Beryl, was being interviewed. You see, it's old Beryl, how are you, Beryl? And they're interviewing Beryl and she says, Oh, I remember Reggie and Ronnie when they were growing up. They were a right pair of rogues, they were. This is Ronnie and Reggie Crano. They'd murdered dozens of people, like you know. And she says, Oh, they were tearaways, those boys, but they had a good art. No, they didn't have a good heart. They were, had a horrible heart. They had a bad heart. That's what they had. And before I became a Christian, I had a bad heart. I got it from my dad. I inherited it. My dad had a physically bad heart. He had a problem with his heart. Dresler's syndrome, it was called. He had a problem with his heart. But not only did I inherit a physical heart problem, but I also inherited the other heart problem. We've all inherited it. The heart problem that gives us bad hearts. Now, just before I make this point, if you went to your doctor tomorrow and your doctor, you began to tell your doctor about all the, the symptoms that you have and your heart is racing and pounding and, and you're getting night sweats and you're getting pains down your arm and your doctor said, ah, you'll be grand. You've got a good heart. Off you go, lovey. You'd kind of go, I don't think this is a very good doctor, would you? You'd want them to check you out. So sometimes we need to hear the truth about our hearts, don't we? 
Amen. I'm just kind of warning up so you can see the shields going up all across the room. Let's look at what Jesus had to say about the heart. Let's look at this passage here from Luke's Gospel. Um, morning, by the way, Cafe Church. Or good afternoon, as it now is. If you want to switch over to the Luke's verses, this is a good opportunity to do it. We're just going to read through a couple of simple verses. Here it goes. Jesus said this. He said, a good tree can't produce bad fruit. And a bad tree can't produce good fruit. A tree is identified by its fruit. Figs are never gathered from thorn bushes and grapes are not picked from bramble trees. There you go, bramble bushes, there you go, that's it. Jesus is stating the obvious. My wife Elma went shopping the other day, went to Aldi. When she came home from Aldi, she had bought both figs and grapes. Would you believe it? It was really in the spirit. Anyway, she brought both figs and grapes. And when she brought in the grapes, I didn't go, oh, look, you got grapes. Did you pick them from the brambles at the end of the garden? No, we know that grapes come from a... Good. Who said a grape tree? You're fired. Uh, they come from a vine. That's what grapes come from. They come from a vine. And when she, produced the, the, when she produced the figs, I didn't go, oh, look, you got figs. You harvested them from the rose bushes. We don't have rose bushes. Rose bushes in the front garden. I didn't, you say, because they come, from the, they come from the tree that they belong to. So the tree is identified by the fruit it produces. We're all on the same page. And so Jesus goes on to say something that we're not necessarily comfortable with. He says this, And so a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from your heart. Hmm... And you see, I hate going to see them Christians because they're very judgmental. They go in there and they're all very judgmental talking about who's good and who's bad and so on and so forth. I am not judging anybody, but I, gee, this is what Jesus said. Jesus said, good people produce good fruit. Bad people produce bad fruit. I didn't make up these verses. Jesus said them. He spoke these. He taught these. And here's the problem. The problem is that many people think that they've got a good art when they've actually got a bad heart. Sometimes people can think, you know, I'm actually a really decent bloke, you know, I've never done anything, anybody wrong. But the Bible says you've actually got a bad heart. And that the only way that your heart can be changed is if God changes your heart. You need a new heart. And the, and the problem all the way through the Old Testament, if you read your, your Bible, you see all the way through the Old Testament, the problem was is that people's hearts were not pursuing God. They were pursuing their own thing and their own lives. And as a result, they reaped what they sowed in doing that. What they needed desperately more than anything else was a change of heart. See, I became a Christian in 1986. In January 1986, I became a Christian. I came to the Lord and I experienced and encountered his presence at a meeting, at a couple of meetings in fact, and I invited him into my life and it changed my life. Something happened in me. Up to that point, I had a hard, cold heart towards other people, towards God. My heart was like stone within me. I wasn't interested in other people or particularly interested in God. In actual fact, I had almost zip interest in God. My heart was cold and hard and utterly selfish. I needed a change of heart. In the Old Testament, there is a promise written in several of the prophets in Ezekiel, 
It's written in Jeremiah. It's actually twice in Ezekiel. It's also in Jeremiah. And what it is is this. The children of Israel had turned their hearts, turned their hearts and turned their backs from God. And they had gone their own way. And as a result of that, all of the things that he promised would happen to them if they turned their backs on him came to pass in their lives. They turned their backs on God. And the Lord said, if you turn your back on me, if you ignore me, if you don't follow me, then I'm going to send you off into exile. And so at the end of a period of about a thousand years, off they went into exile. They went to the city of Babylon, to the empire of Babylon. But while they were there, God made them a promise. He said, now that you're in Babylon, I'm going to make you this promise. I'm going to promise you this. Something big is going to change in your life and in your circumstances. And here is the major part of the promise that God makes through Ezekiel the prophet. He says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will take your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. He said, I'm going to take away this cold, stony, hard heart that you have with its willfulness to turn away from God, with its coldness towards the needs of others, with its coldness towards God, and I am going to replace it. I'm going to give you a new heart. That was God's promise. He was going to change our hearts. When I invited Jesus into my life, I got a new heart. When you invite Jesus into your life, you get a new heart. Would anyone say here it is, promised in Ezekiel 36, Ezekiel 11, and Jeremiah 31. The same basic passage. And so this is a New Testament promise that is made in the Old Testament. It is fulfilled at the coming of Jesus. And so when we get to the New Testament, we see new words being used for the new life that people have when they come to encounter Jesus Christ. When they come and encounter the Spirit of God, when they come to encounter His life, they get these new promises. For instance, this, this one. Jesus said this to Nicodemus. He said, I tell you the truth. Truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You cannot see the kingdom of God unless you are born again, born anew, born from above. Depending on what translation you read, it means that you have to be made new so that you can see the kingdom of God. We cannot see the kingdom of God in the old condition. You must be born again. Repeat with me. You must be born again. Amen. He said, you must, something must change. And Nicodemus was like, what do you mean? I have to get back into my mother's womb. Can you imagine a 52-year-old man trying to claim it? Anyway, it's a long story. But he, he, he couldn't get his head around it. And Jesus said, no, you have to be made new. You have to be born again. Something has to change in your life. And hallelujah, in January 1986, I was born again. Amen. Here's another promise. This is what Paul says to the Corinthians. He says, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. Hallelujah. I'm a new person. I was born again and now I'm a new creation. We used to sing an old song back in 1986. I am a new creation. No more in condemnation. Here in the grace of God I stand. My heart is overflowing, sorry. My love just keeps on growing. Here in the grace of God I stand. We were new people. We sang. I remember singing it on the top of my lungs. There was just something brand new going on in my life. Flash forward 30-something years later and I go, I don't feel very born again. And when I look in the mirror, I don't see a new creation. I see an old, old creation getting older. Because sometimes we can go through experience in life where we go, 
I thought I was born again. I thought I'm supposed to have a new life. I thought I was a new creation. Then why is this old stuff happening to me? You see, when I became a Christian and I, I began to follow the Lord, for the, first, for the first while it was brilliant. It was just following the Lord. I wanted to honor God with everything I did. But then after a while, some old habits began to creep back in the back door. And some old behaviors and patterns that I once indulged freely and without any problem suddenly became to, began to crawl back in the door. And some of the softness of my heart became hard again. And in some of the ways that I was open and free and everybody was lovely and I just wanted to forgive everybody, suddenly I didn't want to forgive them anymore. Now everybody wasn't lovely anymore. And things began to change. And I began to say, Lord, what is it about me? I thought I was born again. I thought I was made new. I thought I was a transformed individual. About two years into being a Christian, I remember I found myself in a situation where I'd just done something that I really, really shouldn't have done. And I remember sobbing, crying. I was brokenhearted, pardon the pun. I was brokenhearted. I said, Lord, I thought I was supposed to be a Christian. Was there any substance or meaning to what I was saying? After one evening of just, I don't know, I just said, Lord, what's wrong with me? How can I find myself in this situation after I've been following you and after I want to be a Christian, I've been born again and I've been made new and I'm saying, Lord, what is the matter with me? Now I know that none of you have ever experienced anything like that. That since you became Christians, you've just basically been walking on water all the way. There's never been any problem, but for me, I'm going to be honest with you, it hasn't always been plain sailing. God has always remained the same, but I've been a little bit changeable at times, especially when I was a young Christian. There was winds blowing and habits came in, and I discovered what the answer was. I'm sure that everybody here has wondered to themselves, why am I thinking like this? I'm supposed to be a Christian. Why am I saying that? I'm supposed to be a Christian. Of course, the devil loves to show up just at those moments ago. Yeah, you know what? You were supposed to be a Christian. I know you're saying that. <laughs> he loves to come in and condemn us. He loves to come in and discourage us. Do you know what the most discouraging thing that we can experience is when we see weakness in ourselves. That's the most discouraging thing that we can experience. But something was going on. Something had happened in my life that was very real. And it was very substantial. And for those of you who've invited Jesus into your life, for those of you who know God, something real and substantial has happened to you. I had a heart transplant. Just like anyone who invites Jesus into their life, they get a new heart. That's what the promise of God says. This is a, it says, you will get a new heart and it'll be a good heart. It'll be a heart that wants to follow and honor God and it's wonderful news. And if anybody ever has had to have a heart transplant, this is the photograph of, a, of, of a, an Australian man who had a heart transplant. Um, if you need to have a heart transplant, if something has to change, it's obviously very deep, but it's a very severe operation, but it's absolutely life-changing. The first thing to remember is, if you have to have a heart transplant, someone has to die so that you can be born again. Does that sound familiar? Jesus had to die so that you would have a new heart. That's what had to happen. You could not do this on your own or of your own self. The new heart is God's creation. But something happens when you get a heart transplant. And this, I think, is what happens. I see, I see Christians getting discouraged and saying, how can I be like this? And how did this happen? And aren't I supposed to be different? And so on and so forth. But something happens when you get a heart transplant. You see, I was reading up on it and I was studying about heart transplants. And in the process of studying about the, 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 the heart transplant, I discovered this. Do you know when, when you get a heart transplant, and I've known this for years, when you get a heart transplant, you have to spend years on immunosuppressant therapies. 
Sometimes people have to spend all of their lives on immunosuppressant therapies. The reason is this, very simple. When you take a new heart that didn't belong to you and you put it into your body, the, the old body has an immune reaction against the new heart. Do you know what I'm saying? So you have a new heart and your old body says, whoop, I don't want this new heart. Get out of here. And it actually attacks itself. Your immune system tries to attack this life-saving new organ that has just been put into you. Your body attacks it because it sees it as foreign. And it's no different for us as Christian believers. We get a new heart, but guess what? All the old habits, they have an immune reaction to this new life. And so at first you're going, yes, this is great. I can breathe. I can dance. I can feed. But then you get this immune reaction kicking off within you. And so you have a reaction between your new nature or your new heart and your old nature or your old body. And the two of them begin to fight each other. Now, the key period here is six months. The first six months, apparently, is the key period. That's the real determinant of whether someone's going to last long or not. And we could, you could see that even in churches, that you see people who come in, they become Christians, they invite Jesus into their life, and then they get discouraged, or the old habits creep back in again, and the immune system, the sinful, selfish immune system, kills the new life inside in the person. Are you with me? Here's what Paul writes. He writes this. He says, The sinful nature wants you to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your own good intentions. See, these two forces are constantly fighting each other. The new life you have and the old habits you have, the new man you have and the old man, they're constantly fighting. And sometimes the old man gets the upper hand and sometimes the new man gets the upper hand. But over the course of a life, the new man wins. The new heart wins. The new life wins. But that doesn't mean that you are not going to be in a battle with your own self about following Jesus and the new life that he has put within you. And sometimes it takes you by ambush. You see, you want to do something good, yeah? So you want to you do good and you say, okay, I'm going to help this old lady cross the road. But as you're going across the road, something says to you, just give her a push. And something just goes on inside in your head. I want to do something good recently. I was driving home after church. Oh, after church, right? I'm going home after church. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I'm going home after church, right? And I prayed for people and people prayed for me and it was wonderful. And I jumped into my car and I drove off down and I got as far as the Clarion Hotel and just next to the Clarion Hotel, just as I arrived, the lights turned green and I'm about to drive across the road when three people who obviously were in difficult life circumstances and weren't focused on their civic duty just walked across the street, just went. <laughs> and I do not exaggerate. They literally went. Across the street. No, I have just driven off at the green light and suddenly these people, ignoring all cars, trucks, vans, buses and motorbikes, just decide they're going to walk out on the road. Now my new self says, ah, oh, should God help us? But then my old self said, rev up! Vroom! And I, 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 I blessed them as they crossed the road. <laughs> but they just completely just revealed to me, yeah, that inside there, there's a guy who wants to kill people. Of course, that's not in any of you. But it just revealed to me that I wanted to do the right thing, but the old thing was right there next to me. Do you know when somebody really gets on your nerves? Do you know when, for instance, do you know when Jesus said, pray for those who persecute you? Let me give you a classic example. Jesus says, pray for those who persecute you. 
Does any, is, is it just me or would you prefer to smack the people who persecute you in the face? Would any of the men say amen? amen. Would any of the women? No. Well, if your husband is persecuting you, bang! I don't like people who persecute me. Okay, there you go. You can fire me afterwards. I don't feel like praying for people who persecute me. No, I don't often get persecuted, thank God. But Jesus says, pray for those who persecute you. Who do you think the beneficiary of that is? Of course you're the beneficiary. It's not the person who's persecuting you. They're not the beneficiary of that prayer. You are the one who's changed by that prayer because you are reacting. You are bringing God's life to an immune reaction that wants to knock their face out. That's what you're doing. You're reacting to that. So here, look. Here's what Paul says. Paul continues to write about this battle that goes on inside you and me and every Christian that you've ever known. This battle goes on. He says this. He says, whoever, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, etc., etc., etc. So when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, and here's the thing, you know when people say, you should follow your heart. You know, you see in the movies, you just need to follow your heart. Don't follow your heart. Follow Jesus. Your heart doesn't know what it wants. It's a wanter. It's a desirer. And this is basically what Paul said. When you follow your heart, which has this kind of ring of sacredness about it. It's almost like, it's almost like religious. You know, if, if you said, you know, Tom is after leaving Denise. Sorry. Tom is after leaving Denise to follow his heart. Oh no, a bad example. All right, all right, all right, all right. Denise is looking at me, kind of going, I'll break your fist. <laughs> if you hear that, Mary and John have broken up. An anonymous Mary and John, if your name is Mary or John, it doesn't apply to you. Mary is broken up with John. She's going to follow her heart. It almost feels crass to say, what an idiot. What is she doing that for? She's going to follow her heart. Jesus said, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He didn't say, wherever your heart is, there your treasure will be also. Your heart is a pursuer. It's a wanter. Don't follow your heart. And Paul is saying, if you just follow your heart, your sinful desires, this is where you end up. But then he says, the good news is, however, he said, but the Spirit produces this kind of fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Amen. Amen. Isn't that good? Amen. Mm, it's not that great. Like, it's all right. Like, do you want to sing the song? Yeah. I'm singing it. That fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Okay, let's sing the other song instead. It's much more fun. Let's sing the other song instead. Here we go. Let's sing the other song. Okay, here we go. That fruit is sexual immorality, impurity, and lustful pleasures, idolatry, and sorcery, hostility, and quarreling, jealousy, and outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, defensive That's a good song, isn't it? Okay, or can we get all the kids forward and we'll sing this song together? Do you see the difference? When you pursue your old nature, what you, what you reap, when you, when you pursue the new nature, what you reap, 
I like it says, the fruit that the Spirit produces. The Spirit produces these things. This is not the five key ways to smash unspirituality in your life. This is not nine strategies to change your life. This is not, here's a good religious way. Follow good religion and you will produce this. It says, the Spirit produces those in us. That's what the Spirit produces. But you're in a battle. And if you're not in a battle, something is wrong. Because we are all born into the spiritual battle going on within our souls. Here's a guy called Frederick Douglass. He said this, if there is no struggle, there is no progress. If you're not struggling with something, you're not making progress in any area of your life. If there's not something going on within you that's causing a struggle, there's nothing worthwhile going on with you. Anything ever worth doing is hard to do. Anything worth doing is hard to do. If there's no struggle going on within your soul, if there's no struggle going on within your life, if you're not fighting some battle, then there's probably no progress being made. But there's something else going on in the midst of all this. God changes our hearts. Amen? He calls us to change our heart. But also, we play a part in this as well. Here's what he says. He says that you need to change your own heart. We need to change our own hearts. God said, I will give you a new heart. I'll give you a new spirit, he said in Ezekiel. But he also challenges them that they need to change their own heart. Here's what the prophet Joel said to the children of Israel. He said, don't tear your clothing in your grief, but tear your hearts instead. Tear that which is, in, which is within you. Tear open your hearts instead. They had a part to play in this change of heart that God was calling them to. Here again, Ezekiel says, put all your rebellion behind you and find yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. You see, God may call upon you. God may touch you so far as to change your heart, but you must play a part in that process. He will not change your heart without your will. Your will is really, really key. I know like you, I have prayed that God would change people's hearts. I've done it. I've prayed it loads and loads and loads of times. I've prayed that God would change their hearts. But recently I was praying for somebody and I realized this. I can't change how the person thinks. I can't change how the person feels. I can only pray that God will change those two things. Now how does God change how a person thinks and how a person feels? He doesn't just blast them or send them a beam boop, and suddenly they change and feel different their will has to be part of the process you cannot even become a Christian apart from your will God has to have your will you have to participate one Bible commentator called the change of heart a participatory miracle you must bring your will to the table it must be part of your desires what 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 must happen well, we must have a revelation. Something must change our minds and make us want to change our ways. Have you ever seen, have you ever read or seen uh, the movie A Christmas Carol, Charles Dickens' ancient story, a story from the 1700s? It's a fantastic story. It's a story of Scrooge. How many people have heard of A Christmas Carol? A Scrooge? Have heard of Scrooge? It's a brilliant story. And in the story, what you see is a man who's hard-hearted, cold, mean, rotten, and bad. 
And he thinks that that's a great way to live. A bit like Ronnie Cray and, the, and, and his brother Reggie. They thought that was a great way to live. And this guy Scrooge, he's a really, really rotten guy. Now you know the story. And what happens to him over the space of three nights, he has three dreams. And in the first dream, he dreams of Christmas past. It's set around Christmas. In the, he dreams of Christmas past. He dreams of his childhood. He dreams of missed opportunities that happened in his childhood. And then he dreams of Christmas present. He has a dream and, and he's shown a vision of Christmas present. And in that, he sees what people think of him now. And he looks and he sees the circumstances of the people that he's treating horribly. He sees them and his eyes are open and he sees what it's like now. And then on the third night, he's visited by a third ghost and the ghost introduces him to Christmas future. And in it, he's taken to his own, the day of his own burial and his own grave. And at his grave, when he's finally being buried, there is no one there to see him be buried because everybody hates him because he was a rotten, rotten, bad, mean man. And he wakes up the following morning and his eyes are opened and he realizes that it's only been a dream. And as a result of that, and know that he's had his eyes opened, he completely changes his way. And suddenly he becomes a fantastic guy. His life is completely transformed. His worldview is completely transformed. He's completely changed. Why? Because he had a revelation. His eyes were open to his circumstance. So when you go back into Ezekiel and you see them saying, I will change your heart. The reason they, the, how he was going to change their heart is he was going to change their circumstances, change their situation so that their eyes would be opened so that they would then go Lord something has to change here we can't go on like this and in their case it was being dragged off to Babylon are you with me here's what Paul says those who live to satisfy only their own sinful nature will, will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature but those who live to please the spirit will harvest everlasting life from the spirit who here wants everlasting life I want everlasting life. That's what I want. But how am I going to do that? God has put the power into my hands. He's put the power into your hands. The transformed, overcoming, winning, victorious life that you, I'm sure, and I want to live is in our own hands. By sowing to the Spirit. By doing what? The Spirit wants love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's what the Spirit will produce in us. No, you can't do this on your own. One guy, a guy called William Temple, he said, If you gave me two copies of Shakespeare, if you gave me a copy of Hamlet and you gave me a copy of, Tim, of King Lear and said, read these plays. And when you've read these plays, I want you to write a play just like Shakespeare did. He'd say, I couldn't do it because only a genius like Shakespeare could do it. He was a genius. Shakespeare could do it. I can't do it. Or if somebody handed you the New Testament and said, here, look and read about the life of Jesus Christ and now go out and live the life that Jesus lived. You'd have to say, no, I couldn't do it. Jesus could live it because Jesus was who he was and he was in the spirit of who he was. But I couldn't do it because I don't have that spirit. And then he said, however, if you took the spirit of William Shakespeare and put it inside me. Or if you took the spirit of Jesus and put it inside me, you'd say, no, no, I can go and live the life that God has called me to live. We're not doing this in our own energy or in our own strength, but the power of the Holy Spirit is at work inside us to transform our lives. Who wants to live a life like that? I want to live a life like that. But you know, sometimes I look into my heart and I see things 
I see areas of my life and I see areas of my soul that go hard. I see that sometimes I'm not as open-hearted as I ought to be. Maybe not as forgiving as I should be. Sometimes I see my own pride comes in and hardens my heart in the situation. Or I can be mean-minded with my time or with my energy. And, go, no, no, I, and sometimes I look in and I say, oh Lord, I'm in the battle again. I want to live the life God has called me to live. A bit like David, I have often prayed, and I'm sure that you have too. Create in me a pure heart, God. Make my spirit right again. Create in me a pure heart, oh God. And when we say, here's the, here's the thing, the, the important part about this is that the minute that David began to pray that prayer, the change had begun. Because even praying the prayer, Lord, would you change my heart about this situation, about this person, about this circumstance? Lord, would you change my heart? The minute you say it, the process begins because you're now cooperating with the Spirit of God at work in you. But to get to that point, to get to that point, Paul writes this to the Ephesians. He says this, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Something has to happen in here. We need to have the eyes of our hearts enlightened so that we can see where it is that God is at work, so that we can see what it is that needs to change. Sometimes our hearts are, sometimes our eyes are closed. The eyes of our hearts are closed. And sometimes we'd say, Lord, would you give us a revelation? And the people that we pray for and the people that we long for and the people whose hearts we want to see changed, we need to be praying, Lord, would you open the eyes of their hearts so that they can understand that they need you? And in that, once they begin to cooperate with God, I remember sitting in that Christian meeting having heard the good news about Jesus Christ, and I sat in that Christian meeting, and I realized something needs to change in me, and I said, Lord, would you help me change? And a few minutes later, I'm praying the sinner's prayer, and life begins to change once we begin to cooperate with what God wants to do in our hearts and in our lives. Do you want a good heart? I want a good heart. Do you want something in your heart to change? I want something in my heart to change. Some parts of my heart, they're fine. But other parts of my heart, they're reacting. They're reacting like that heart transplant and giving me a battle where I should be having victory. We're going to pray in a second. Ask the band to come up. Can I ask you all to stand with me, please? We're going to pray. I want us to pray just a couple of things just as we close up this morning. We're nearly done. Just want to pray for two things. Let's close our eyes just for a moment, just as the band are setting up and they're starting to play. Let's just close our eyes for a moment. If you're here this morning and you say, Lord, I recognize that there is something in my life, in my heart, Lord, that needs to change. I've been hard-hearted in this area. I've closed myself off, Lord. I need your grace to forgive. I need to change. I need your Holy Spirit to work on me, to change my heart. If you want to pray like David prayed this morning, create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. I need to change. If that's your prayer this morning, with every eye closed, would you raise your hand? You just keep your hands in the air just for a second. We're going to pray in a second. If you're here this morning and there's somebody that you know, you love, somebody perhaps that you've been praying for, 
and you recognize that they need to have a change of heart so that they can change, so that they can come to know Jesus. And you want to pray this morning, say, Lord, would you open the eyes of their hearts so that they can see that they need you desperately. Open the eyes of their hearts so that they will cooperate, so they will bring their will to your change of their hearts and their minds. Lord, would you open the eyes of the heart of this one that we love and we long for and that we're praying for. If you want to pray for somebody like that this morning, will you raise your hand? Praise God. Let's sing, Open the Eyes. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. Open the eyes, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. Just before we sing on, if you raised your hand and said, Lord, I want to change my heart, Lord. Would you change my heart? Would you create in me a clean heart? Or if you want to pray for someone this morning and pray, may their eyes be opened. We're going to pray up here at the front just for a few moments before we close. We're going to pray here at the front. So I'm going to invite you to come forward as we sing this song again. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Let's come forward. Let's pray together and do business as God. Jesus, Lord. Open the eyes. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you, I want to see you, open the eyes of my heart, Lord, open the eyes of my heart, I want to see you, I want to see you, to see you high and lifted up, to see you high and lifted up. Shining in the light of your glory, oh, pour out your power and love as we sing holy, 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 to see you, to see you high and lifted up. Shining in the light of your glory, oh, pour out your power and love as we sing holy, holy, holy. I'm going to invite you to do something if you're able and if you're willing there's no problem if you're not able or if you would prefer not to that's fine too if you want to pray this morning for your own heart or you want to pray for the heart of someone else can I invite you would you kneel with me I'm going to kneel and pray for things in my own heart and the hearts of others this morning whether you're up here or down there if you want to kneel you can if you don't that's fine that's fine nobody's policing you nobody's looking at you just lift our hands before God, just before us, just symbolic of lifting up our hearts before Him. Lord, we want to be a people who sow to the Spirit. We want to be a people who inherit eternal life. Would anyone say, Amen. Amen. Lord, as we come before you this morning, we bring our hearts before you, Lord. Like David, Lord, we pray, creating us a clean heart, Lord. Would you soften our hearts, Lord, where they need softening? Lord, where we need to forgive someone. This morning, would you give us the grace, soften our hearts so that we can forgive them, Lord? 
Lord, where we need to let someone back into our hearts, Lord, would you give us the grace to be open-hearted towards someone? For those this morning, Lord, with broken hearts, Lord, we pray, would you do your mending, healing work in Jesus' name? Heal broken hearts this morning, Lord. Lord, as we get on our knees, we offer to you our will and say, Lord, we are willing for you to change our hearts. We're willing for you to renew our spirits and to make us new people, to make us changed people, Lord. Lord, we ask you, do your miracle work in our hearts. Do your miracle work in our lives. Change us and make us new in Jesus' name. Lord, we pray for the people that we bring before you this morning. Lord, we can't change their minds. We can't change how they think and we can't change how they feel. But Lord, we can pray that you would open the eyes of their hearts, Lord. We pray, Lord, even if that means circumstances must change, Lord, that you would bring them to a place where their eyes are open to the reality of their situation, Lord. Lord, some of them are lost and don't know you at all, have never known you. Lord, we ask you, would you help open the eyes of their hearts, Lord? Like Saul on the road to Damascus, going about his own way until you intervened miraculously, Lord. Would you miraculously intervene in the lives of those that we love and that we long for, Lord? And change their hearts and make them new and bring them to yourself and transform them, Lord Jesus. I thank you, Lord, as we kneel here we can declare that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed and the new has come. We pray, Lord, in this coming week. Lord, as we face the immune reaction, even from what we have listened to this morning, even as our, our minds and our hearts, our old nature, rejects and bucks against what it is that you're saying to us and doing in our hearts. Lord, I pray we would know the protection and the empowerment of your Holy Spirit, Lord. Let your Holy Spirit's power rest on everybody in this room, we pray. In Jesus' name and God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand again and close in prayer. Just close, let's close. I just want to say this. As I was reading yesterday, I believe the Lord spoke to me. This is just a slight, this is tangential to what I was saying this morning. I really feel that like God spoke to me about someone who's here this morning and specifically it was about someone in the late service or some people in the late service and you've been recently either toying with or going to a fortune teller or a psychic now some people think that this is all harmless fun it isn't harmless fun and in the Old Testament God warned his people don't be visiting clairvoyants or psychics don't talk to dealing with anybody who's consulting with the dead don't be talking with them. Don't be going to seances. Don't be, don't be talking to people who conduct witchcraft. Don't talk to people who can tell you so-called about your future. And the reason God warned them about that was very simple. Because when we follow God, when our hearts are following after the Lord, when we are pursuing Him, our future is going to be just fine. When we pursue him, he looks after the future. Would anyone say amen? amen? That's what happens to people. Could I ask you, would you close your eyes for a second? I just don't want to be talking into the air. But perhaps I am talking into the air. Let's just close our eyes. Just between you and I, just so as I know that God is speaking to you this morning. If you were in that situation, you were 
contemplating going to a psychic or you're, you've recently been in a psychic or a seance. I'm not going to call you. I'm not going to publicly shame you. But if that's you, just want to say, Lord, I recognize that's me and I know that that's not the best way to live. Would you just raise your hand very quickly and take it back down? I see your hands. There's four people who just responded there with their hands up. I just want to pray. Let's just pray for those brothers and sisters right now. Lord Jesus, we pray for these brothers and sisters, Lord, that you would protect them from the evil one. Because he is the power behind this, Lord. I pray that you would protect them from the evil one. And I pray that they would have an assurance and a confidence that their future is in you. Would anyone say amen? Amen. Lord, that they are protected and they are watched over. And they will be provided for. And they will be blessed. And they will be hedged in so long as they are pursuing you, Lord. When we're following you, the future is fine. We declare that in Jesus' name. And for the future, that let's, let's pray for all of us as we close. For the future that's ahead of all of us this coming week, Lord, we pray that we would walk under your protection. We would walk in your purposes. And we would know your provision. In Jesus' mighty name and God's people finally said, Amen. Amen. God bless and go with you, brothers and sisters. God bless you. If you'd like to make an offering here at Grace, you can do so through our offering boxes here. The credit card machine downstairs or on your phone. You are the only source of support that the church has. The guys are going to play us out. Tea and coffee is being served upstairs. We'll see you next Sunday morning and Tuesday night. Amen. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. Carol, God bless I you, want to see you. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart, I want to see you, I want to see you, see you high, see you high and lifted up, shining in the light of your glory, pour out your power and love as we sing holy, 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 see you high. Shining in the light of your glory, pour out your power and love as we sing holy, 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 holy,